0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side
1: of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Dr. Jordan Ballou. Now, Dr. Ballou is a clinical assistant professor at the University of Mississippi and also has several other roles in and around pharmacy. Dr. Ballou graduated from Campbell University, where she got her PharmD, Go Fighting Camels, and what other roles do you have in pharmacy, Doctor Blue?
0: Well, thank you so much, Eric, for having me. So, as, as my um, at my job with the University of Mississippi, I am a faculty member, so I teach students. And part of my faculty appointment is as the coordinator of skills-based development in our curriculum. So I oversee our skills laboratory and simulation activities. I also am a practicing pharmacist. So two days a week, I am at an independently owned pharmacy in North Mississippi called Tyson Drug Company. We have four locations uh, in North Mississippi, and I help to oversee the clinical operations for the stores as well as coordinate all student experiences that come through our site, and I'm the residency program coordinator for one resident in the community-based pharmacy program here with the University of Mississippi.
1: Awesome. So, yeah, you're pretty well entrenched in the academia field and in the practice role, which I always love seeing because it helps you kind of keep your foot in the, in the actual practicing field, know what's going on with the current pharmacy, which can then help you in your academia side. So I love seeing people like you who kind of have those shared roles, although it's probably more work for you in the long run.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I actually, I, another thing as well that I participate in that has kind of been the impetus for this, this particular conversation that we're having is I also act as the network facilitator for CPESN Mississippi, uh, which is the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network of Mississippi and so that's uh, an administrative role that I have taken on as well, um, and helping to coordinate efforts for uh, 55 other independent pharmacies here in the state of Mississippi too. So a lot of, a lot of different hats that I get to wear in my job.
1: Yeah, but they're all important hats, too, and they all help push our profession forward, which is why, obviously, I wanted you on this podcast. You're helping lead this Flip the Pharmacy program, which they have their website. I believe it's flipthepharmacy.com. You can correct me if I'm wrong. but it's a, Yeah, that's right. Okay, so it's a new program where you guys are really trying to kind of change the game with what's going on in pharmacy and why I asked you to be on the podcast today because I really thought from what I could see and what everyone was talking about with it, it was a very innovative program that could be something that would be discussed and could kind of help show people and listeners what you're doing in pharmacy and how we can kind of change this or flip the pharmacy, if you will. So I've seen it amongst not just you, since obviously we're friends on social media, but a lot of other people sharing your links and things like that as well. What are you doing there? It must be pretty amazing is all I I understand, but what are you doing with Flip the Pharmacy? Like, what is it?
0: Yeah, and thank you for, for the compliments as well. But so Flip the Pharmacy is basically... A movement uh, to you know as many know in the community pharmacy setting we're very reactive Uh, we react to people who walk into the pharmacy who need their medications we react to phone calls we react to e prescriptions whatever it may be and we focus on a prescription at a moment in time and so flip the pharmacy and the goal of it is to move beyond that to really care for patients over time so developing a more proactive approach for caring for patients and not just worrying about a single prescription, but a whole individual and providing them with disease state management and education services and whatever they may need in addition to their medication.
1: Yeah. So you guys are really trying to uh, to lead the way with like some of these changes and everything kind of what's the goal of flip the pharmacy. Is there a specific goal you have in mind when you're doing this or was it just to kind of change it up and show more the clinical side of pharmacy?
0: Yeah. And I think there's several different goals. So Flip the Pharmacy is really focusing on uh, six different domains. And so Flip the Pharmacy came from a grant that was funded by the Community Pharmacy Foundation and and was granted to CPESN USA. Um, And so CPESN USA is serving as the coordinating center for this grant to manage all of of the – CPESN is managing the logistics of the grant. And so the different domains are to leverage the appointment-based model – or a medication synchronization program. Additionally, to improve patient follow-up and monitoring, domain three is developing new roles for non pharmacist support staff, so technicians and clerks and even delivery drivers. Domain four is optimizing the use of technology. And then domain five is establishing working relationships with other care team members. And then finally, domain six, the, the one that this all, hinges upon is developing the business model and expressing value to a payer to hopefully not only split the way that pharmacists practice, but also the way that pharmacists get paid.
1: I think you hit several things there that are everyone can relate to. Obviously, like you said, we're very reactive. People come in and we kind of just knee-jerk response to that. I said a lot of times a good day for me is when I can leave with all cues are zero, which essentially is what it should be when I come <laughs> in. So it looks like I really haven't done any work from the if you take it at the front of the day at the end of the day, but everything happens in between just as a knee jerk reaction of what's coming in the door and what I can kind of express with my knowledge or get done in that point in time. And you guys are really changing that to more of an appointment base. So you could look at it and see patients are coming in, you have how many appointments, and then you can kind of organize it from there if you will. With that, are you seeing like where patients really like the appointments because they know they have a 15 minute block to come, whatever time it is to come in and sit down with the per- the pharmacist? What are you seeing with like that side of it? Are you seeing pushback because they can't come in anytime, or how is that model working?
0: Yeah, so at my practice site, uh, Tyson Drug Company, the owner, his name is Bob Lominick, and Bob is pretty well known among, um, Independent pharmacist community, the community pharmacy world, as um, he kind of has the nickname as the Godfather of medication synchronization, <laughs> and um, so he's been doing MedSync for a really long time. I'm, I mean, maybe ten or so years. So before oh, wow. it was even a buzzword. That pretty much now MedSync is a standardized service that almost all pharmacies are offering at some point now. And so, so we have about a, a thousand patients just at our main, our busiest. Door, wow! Uh, that are enrolled in our MedSync program. And I think they, patients love it. They love the convenience of it. They get a call a week before but from a real person to go over their medications and, to, and talk about any issues that they may have been having in the last month. And then, yeah, they have that dedicated time when they come in as well to hear from the pharmacist and, you know, talk about whatever issues they're having. Maybe we'll do a targeted intervention on how to use their inhaler or um, you know, looking at their blood sugar logs or whatever it may be. And so I think people love it. it. It makes it really convenient for them.
1: Yeah. I think that's awesome that you're, you're putting that personal touch on it. Like you said, you guys are uh, optimizing technology with some of these, uh, features you, you have there, but you're also putting a little touch in of sitting down with the person and even making that call, like you said, from a live person, not an automated text blast that just keeps going out because they didn't pick up their medication. It's actually someone calling and reminding them and then when they come in, sitting down and going over it and really dialing in what works for them or what they need to uh, have worked on for for their case.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So that personal touch is huge, obviously, when it comes to pharmacy. And what you're hitting on here a lot is things that would be covered in provider status, which we've all been kind of barking for, and APHA has been barking for here for a long time. Do you think that seeing practices like this flip the pharmacy are what will lead to the provider status because they're really basically doing it now. They just need to get kind of reimbursed and compensated for it so other people can be encouraged to roll it out better.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly think think it's going to help. I think one of the biggest problems, particularly in community pharmacy, is that we don't document what we do. You know, we may write it down on a prescription hard copy and scan it back into the system or whatever it may be, but we don't do long, long-term, um, Over time, documentation of of what we do, and so it's just that old adage of if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that this with the pharmacy program is really forcing pharmacies and pharmacists to document their services because if we didn't, if we don't have this documentation, then nobody believes not not that nobody believes, but we don't have anything to back up what we say we can do. And so I think that what the pharmacy is really helping pharmacists to understand the value of that that will then also show that value and demonstrate that value to other members of the healthcare team, as well as to payers. And hopefully that also includes Medicare and and the government.
1: Yeah, for sure. Because they're, they're the biggest payers in healthcare and they're the ones who can also put some of the regulations on things like provider status and what have you. Right. Yeah. Who exactly participates in flip the pharmacist? Is it just every patient who comes in and a clinical pharmacist? Is it, kind of like the whole pharmacy team that has like a little role or a little slice of Flip the Pharmacy. What are the kind of some of the roles in there a little bit?
0: So I am, um, in my role, I'm the team lead for Team Mississippi. And so we have 15 pharmacies in Team Mississippi. Uh, There are, I think, 40 teams in Flip the Pharmacy across the nation. And so what I have been coaching my team to do is, uh, because this is a practice transformation effort, it is truly and literally transforming the way that we do business and the way that we practice all day. And so for most pharmacies, it has, it would be very difficult to do this on every single person that walked in to this pharmacy. And so the way that uh of Pharmacy is doing this is basically in what they call kind of a bite-sized chunk to transform practice over time. And so we are in the sixth month right now of the 24 months, so two total years, of a change, of, of this transformation. And so through these first six months, there have been really small goals each month for the pharmacies to work through. So the goal right now is is 25. That's the magic number. 25 patients. Do 25 care plans. That's, that's what we call, you know, the documentation that we're using
1: Correct.
0: is 25 care plans, see 25 patients. And so the pharmacies on my team that have been the most successful are the ones that Have basically charged each pharmacist to be responsible for one or two patients per working day. And so if you think about over a month, whether the pharmacy is open, you know, five days a week, six days a week, or every single day, that would, that would help them achieve that goal of 25. And so the focus this first six months has been on patients with hypertension. And so it's, it's been really nice, I think, to focus on something so specific because it has helped the pharmacist to change their perspective and their thought, And so we're looking out for patients who are on hypertension medications, and we are training technicians how to take blood pressures in the pharmacy. You know, so it's been really interesting and, and fun, I think, to um, we kind of have a little competition between our team as well to try to see who, who's submitting the most care plans or who's taking the most blood pressures. It's been and it's really up to the pharmacy to choose who the patients are that participate. And so but this this first six months is focused on hypertension patients.
1: Okay. And patients
0: with hypertension.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I think that's obviously that's a huge one because it leads to heart attacks, everything else. People with diabetes can have hypertension. it can be a very complex thing if mm-hmm. it's not just hypertension by itself in most cases. And I think one thing you mentioned there that was awesome was it's not just flip the pharmacy, right? We're not putting the pills over there in the OTC section, but we're flipping the mindset of pharmacy, which is huge right. here. Especially like you said, that pharmacist has a goal of just one or two a day. This isn't like a call list like you're seeing from some of the larger corporations of, hey, you have to call these 35 people and ask them if they have any questions. No, this is, look, make that one impact a day. You need to still be your pharmacist. You need to be dispensing. You need to be taking care of your people, answering the questions, but we need you to go the extra mile with one person a day. And I really like that because it's not it's it's a metric, I guess, if you want to call it that, but it's not really. It's just go that extra mile, try to right. make it one or two people. And knowing that that will snowball, like you said, throughout the month, that's 25, 30 people that month that one pharmacist will have an impact on. If it's a busier pharmacy, maybe it'll be fifty or sixty because you have two full time pharmacists there. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really the way the pharmacy should be should have been pushed from the very get-go and what it used to be more when we had some better dispensing fees and things of that nature. We have more time to do that. We can make those impacts. But like you said, we weren't documenting it. So no one knew about it. No one saw the care that was actually being provided. They just saw lick, stick, fill, hear your pills.
0: Right. It's it's been really interesting as well to watch the pharmacies evolve over time. So I get a monthly report out of their productivity, if you will, with regard to care plan submissions. And so, for example, just starting in December, our team, like I said, of, of 15 pharmacies, Submitted 336 care plans. Oh
1: wow! Uh, and
0: a, and 100, 143 of those had blood pressure numbers associated with them. And then last month in February, you know, the shortest month of the year, they did 510 care plans and over 200 blood pressures. So wow. it's like even watching my team from a population level, right? My the the team is evolving and growing. So it's just been really fascinating. Um, and interesting to watch the pharmacies evolve and get excited as well about each month change package progression and, um, you know, and what their next goal is going to be. So,
1: so I have two questions in regards to that, and you, they're going to be a little bit different answers. But are you currently being reimbursed for doing all of this work or is it just kind of in the stars ratings? It's going to pay off in the, long, in the long run. And then what kind of feedback are you getting from other providers in the area on what they're doing here?
0: So to answer your first question, so no, there, there is no payment associated with this. However, I, I did say in the beginning, it is a grant funded project. Okay. And so some states, some teams who are participating, and I say states because most of the teams are, are by state locality, but there are some multi state teams. And so some of the teams did get funding through the grants to participate, but the funding is for coaches. So this is also being done by coaches. So team lead, like myself, get coaches to go to the pharmacies and train them up, and, and help them work through workflow problems and develop these innovations and all of that as well. And so the funding was really more towards the coaches than the pharmacies themselves. Okay. Um, now there are some teams as well who do have active payer contracts in Mississippi. Unfortunately right now we do not, but there are other states who do have active contracts with payers and their pharmacies are being paid while they are also shipping.
1: Okay, and then the and pr- then, provider feedback yeah. on it.
0: So in our local area, one of the, actually last month's domain was working with other healthcare team members. And so we conducted some provider visits and what's really interesting is the data that we're able to collect through doing these care plans in our um, dispensing system or software vendor that we're using, we are able to run reports of mutual patients with providers and say, you know, X percentage of your patients are were uncontrolled last month but are now controlled this month or whatever it may be. And we can show, you know, we have this many mutual patients together. How can we do a better job of working together to manage these patients? So it, again, just the power of, of data and aggregating it and collecting it in general has been really beneficial with, with strengthening the relationships that we've, that we've developed with providers in our area. And that's just, that's anecdotal for from my own experiences.
1: Well, yeah, but if you're also having data come back, then you can, the, especially improve, improved blood pressures. That's an outcome you can point at yeah. right there. You know, we maybe we had fifty percent right. higher compliance rate. This is another reason why you know you should cover services like this. And you know, at the same time, you're not stepping on those providers' toes. You're maybe saving them from having to go back to their office so they can treat more people who have other needs while hey let us help you with this one we can check it they can stop in we're more convenient we have better hours and we can help with some of that care plan so i really think that's a good way of looking at it as you know we're really complementing what they do not competing with what they do
0: exactly yes yeah, exactly
1: with the changing in pharmacy and kind of what you guys are doing obviously we're seeing dispensing fees and fee-for-service models changing how sustainable do you think that this flip the pharmacy program is, and could it be something that's really incorporated into all pharmacies, even bigger box grocery store chains, what have you, in the in the near future or in a little bit further out future?
0: Yeah, I, I do I really do think that this is a sustainable program, um, particularly in the way that they have introduced it in these small chunks, these bite-sized pieces for the pharmacies to process and and grow from. I think that. You know, I, I truly hope, and I tell my students every day that this is this is the current and the future of of community pharmacy practice. I just I don't see how we can't. I think I've got kind of like there's an old adage about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over <laughs> again and expecting a different result.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what retail's been for a little while here.
0: Yes, it really has. And you know, I think that community pharmacy we we have to change. We have to change and evolve and and to better express our value not only for ourselves as, as a profession, but also for our patients. Because our patients need us regardless of if we're in an independent pharmacy or a grocery chain or a big box store. They need us there. They need our expertise and they need, you know, I mean, they need the products, but more so they need our knowledge and our education that we're able to provide them. And so I just feel like if we don't change, then we may not exist anymore. And so I think that the evolution has to occur now
1: is the time. Yeah, and the one thing I like about it too is it's it's a very one-on-one type of thing. It would be very hard to replicate this in some sort of digital medium or over the phone or mail order or what have you because there's so many factors that go into even checking someone's blood pressure making sure the cuffs on right making sure that their feet aren't cro- you know all those little stupid things that we know as yeah. pharmacists but there's so many of those things that that's why we need to have someone there who can do that and who knows that and who knows to watch for it every single time to make sure we're getting quality metrics out of some of these things so that we know if we're making impact or if we're not to your point of some of the data earlier right it's- Do you feel that better patient outcomes like this will lead to pharmacists kind of regaining control of our profession and getting that provider status?
0: Yeah, I I mean I hope so. It it can't not, right? (laughs) I think that we have so, there's so much evidence out there that has shown the value that pharmacists bring to the team and to the patients. And it's, you know, the goal of just the Pharmacy in, in particular is to aggregate that data and create, for lack of a better term, a buying power. Among this group, and so one of the larger goals of of the pharmacy is one million care plans. Oh wow! They want one million of one million of them. Like that is the program, the main program goal. Um, but additionally, they have others of blood print, numbers of blood pressure and A one C's and things like that as well. And just in the first five months, they have collected over eighty thousand already. Um, and so, you know, that those are not numbers that that people dismiss, right? So yeah. I think that we're trying to be loud enough that people will have to listen to what we have to say and and so I think that that's that's the goal and I hope that you know that is what pharmacy is going towards is that we're going to be so disruptive, if you will, in the current <laughs> healthcare market that we can't be ignored.
1: Yeah, and that's huge. I, a million drug plans or therapy plans is That's a crazy number when you think about that. And that many blood pressure screenings too, that's just a a really high amount. And I think that just kind of speaks to the power that we have as pharmacists just to be accessible, to be there, and then to make those little changes. You know, It might be where we could see only a five-point change in someone's blood pressure. But if you look at that in the grand picture, if we lowered all people with hypertension's blood pressure by just five points, that's a huge difference and a huge number of – people who are going to have less heart attacks, less strokes, you know, longer lives, more productive uh, more productive healthy lives, things of that nature. And I think that's what the crazy thing is, you guys aren't the biggest program out there. Like you guys aren't in like every CVS, for example, or every Walgreens. What? And you're seeing these kind of crazy numbers. And I think that's awesome because it shows the power that we could do even in a smaller volume of the number of pharmacies we're in yeah but if that gets rolled out man you could that could really be a game changer for our whole field and i'm glad to see someone like you leading this because I, I love your passion about it i love seeing everything you share about it and also you know the way that you're able to communicate this as a pharmacist who's practicing and doing this and crunching the numbers to some extent it's not coming from a corporate board who's looking at this on wall street saying how much how profitable can we be you're literally looking at this as the future of your profession which i think is more than admirable but also a good way that we should really be honing in on this. So, thanks for leading all this.
0: Oh, well, yeah, thank you. And and absolutely. I think, you know, I'm I'm just one just one person, you know, here in in Mississippi and and um, you know, Mississippi is a state that is first place in a lot of things that you don't want to be first <laughs> place in. Um, so, you know, patients with diabetes and patients with hypertension and obesity and you know, all of those things and so I think that, you know, why not here and why not this place and we ask we say that a lot at my practice site it, why not us like why could we not be the one because somebody's going to change this profession and somebody's going to change the outlook and you know why, why not here and why not right now with this program I did want to share one other thing about patient specific outcomes that have occurred even just at my site and I've had this echoed at all of the other sites on our team as well so I have a patient who came in she was waiting to get a flu shot and while she was waiting, I said, well, you know, um, I had a pharmacy student and I said, well, the pharmacy student is going to go draw up your vaccine while, while you're waiting. Can I go ahead and check your blood pressure? And she said, well, I don't, you know, I don't have problems with my blood pressure, but you know, sure. I don't, I don't mind to do it. And I was like, okay, come on back, you know? And so she sat down and I checked her blood pressure and it was, you know, in the 160s, over nine, high nineties or whatever it may be. And I, I said, well, so are you sure you don't have issues with blood pressure? And and she said, well, you know, I did see a cardiologist for about a year, several years ago, but they dismissed me from their care and said that I was, you know, doing well. And so anyways, I ended up, right, we wrote her numbers down and I took it one more time and it was still elevated. So she ended up having a doctor's appointment the next day and her blood pressure was elevated at that doctor's visit as well. And I called her, you know, after her appointment and she told me about that. And then she started on blood pressure medication and she came in and we checked it again the next month when she was coming to pick up her medication. So just in that regularly scheduled appointment. And it was down to like 130, And uh, just from, you know, just from starting one medication. And if, that was just a one-off like chance encounter uh, sure. that I asked her. And she was like, well, sure, go ahead. You can check it. And come to find out she had hypertension and didn't even know. Yeah, and just... so it's been really, we, and I've had several of those, several encounters like that. So it's been just really eye-opening, I think, for our community too because we've also just been doing extra advertising about blood pressure and hypertension, and it has caused several people to be diagnosed who didn't even know that they had it. So I, I just think, again, it's just, there's the possibilities here are, are endless in terms of positive outcomes.
1: Yeah, and again, that just speaks to the accessibility of pharmacists in the community. You literally just yeah. did this in passing, and I'm not going to say that Obviously, we should be paid for every single blood pressure screening that we do if it is just like, you know, we're doing it every week. The person comes in. There's no real reason to do it. But if you had some reason, say you saw them smoking or they mentioned something or you saw them buying a bunch of salty snacks, hey, let's check this. Now you had that conversation and you, you, you caught it or you changed the way that they were making decisions. That's huge. That's that, you know, butterfly effect, if you will, of the butterfly flaps its wings and a hurricane comes off the coast. You know, it's, it's a storm coming by just these little movements one at a time. And I, I love that you're able to catch those things and you've had multiple people where you've caught that. That's kind of speaks back to an old, uh, I think it was the, one of the new, the New Yorker magazine called the hotspotters, where they found by focusing on just the top 1% users of healthcare, they were able to drop the expenses a lot by just focusing a little more assets on them. This is where, you know, with pharmacists, Hey, if we use our knowledge to focus on those one or two patients, we can make a huge ripple effect. By things like that, by you know catching high blood pressures, by catching you know A1Cs, by catching you know a different understanding about how blood pressure and blood sugars work with patients, and that's awesome. I'm, I love hearing those type of stories because it gets me motivated to like go into work and start asking those type of questions again. Not that I wasn't doing them, but just to you know be a little more vigilant in what I was doing with them. So that's awesome. I love those type of stories. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think to kind of to your point. It's so easy for us, as, just as humans, right? It's, it's not a pharmacist thing; it's a human thing, to just get kind of stuck in our ways, caught in our daily whirlwind, and and something like this comes along that just having a conversation with a person that you don't usually talk to, or hearing about something that you may have even heard before, and you get re, you get like reinvigorated and reexcited about the profession and, and the future of things, and and the role that we all play in advancing things forward. So. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to talk
1: about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing that I know you guys are doing with Flip the Pharmacy there is you're kind of having a second wave roll if I saw correctly, on your website in the, in the near future. Is there a way that other people can join this program or sign up or help participate with it in case they're listening or want to know if their pharmacy can get involved in any way?
0: Absolutely. So we are in uh, cohort one. If you will, they're calling it uh, cohorts. And so, as I said, it was a two-year program, but they will be starting cohort two this year. And so applications, I believe, will open in June um, with the first month, so like the kickoff month of the actual fastest transformation is October. Uh, things went really quickly the first go-round because they uh, were just notified that they had the dollars and they had to get rolling on it. And so uh, cohort two, they're going to try to back up a little bit um, with the preparation part. And then uh, the kickoff will, I'm assuming, will uh, again be in October as it was with cohort one. So to join, um, the application will go live on socialpharmacy.com. I haven't heard a lot yet about about that, but I know that it will be publicized. You can actually go on socialpharmacy.com and just put in your email address and they'll send you updates if you are interested or want to learn more about it and, and keep engaged. And everything on the site is public. You can actually even see all the change packages already that we have been through. Um, they're publicly available as well. So technically, a pharmacy could start flipping on their own right away if they were interested in
1: doing that. so Yeah, they might not get some of the grants or some of the studies with it, but there's no reason why we, right. we couldn't see more people replicating that and being inspired by some of the work you guys are doing there with Flip the Pharmacy. Again, flipthepharmacy.com, June of 2020, they're taking applications and they're looking to go live later this year with kind of the round two or cohort two of of that Flip the Pharmacy program. So that's awesome. Was there anything else on here you wanted to share with the listeners before I ask you the questions I ask everyone on here? Oh,
0: uh, I think, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about just the way that schools of pharmacy and students are getting engaged in foot-the-pharmacy as an academician, if you will. And so the kind of partnered along with or going alongside foot-the-pharmacy is another initiative called ACT for Pharmacy, ACT, and it stands for the Academia CPESN Transformation. And so it's a collaborative between schools of pharmacy and CPESN to recognize the value that schools of pharmacy could play in helping community pharmacies with this practice transformation. And so a lot of the, the pharmacy teams are partnered with schools, very similar to Mississippi here, um, are partnered with schools because oftentimes those of us in academia do have the research background and, and that innovative mindset and can really help the community pharmacies with, you know, help them by being a change agent or being being the coach alongside them. And so, additionally, schools of pharmacy are using student pharmacists in in these community pharmacies. So I know at my site in particular, we use student pharmacists every single month to help accomplish our change package. I've used students to not only provide the patient care services, so they're checking blood pressures and doing patient education, but they're also doing education of our pharmacy team. And so student pharmacists are creating guideline updates or training technicians how to check blood pressures we've actually trained a delivery driver how to check blood pressures and he takes our delivery driver takes a blood pressure cup in the car and he goes when he goes to people's homes who don't have a the pharmacy he checks their blood pressure and brings those numbers back to the pharmacy and obviously we have an algorithm and specific guidelines to follow depending on the results that end up so you know i think that Involving students has also been really positive, not only because they bring a new excitement to the pharmacy, but also because we're showing them a different way to practice at an earlier stage in their career, too. I think that that's, really, that's something that's really encouraging to me, and one of the, one of the more exciting aspects of, of all of this is really exposing students to this early on.
1: Yeah, students are great for the fact that nothing else is they don't know any different. So if you teach them one way, that's kind of what they learn to expect, and right. they can demand that of everybody else around them, and that's the norm for them. So yeah, that's a it's a good way of looking at that as a as an academic and as somebody who does work in the field. I that's a good uh good a good analysis of that. Yeah. All right. So the questions I ask everybody on here: If you could change one thing about pharmacy, what would it be?
0: Um, you know, I kind of wrestled with this question uh, <laughs> as I was preparing to talk to you, but I think the the biggest thing for me personally is that I would like to change how segmented our profession is. I think that like I, I slept with someone who works with like a state Medicaid program or something like that. It, it's been a, it's been some time ago and they said one of the biggest things that they have noticed over their career is that when nurses come to talk to them, they represent all nurses or when physicians come, they represent all physicians. But when pharmacists come, they may only represent the hospital pharmacist or the independent pharmacist or the chain pharmacist or and so I I do and I think it's better now than it has been um, in the past but I would I would really like to see a change in our profession of all pharmacists supporting all of other pharmacists I think even in my short career as, as a student and as a practitioner there have been times where others looked down on, on community-based pharmacists as a you know, they're, they're not using their full education or they're not practicing at the top of their license or whatever it may be. And so my goal as a, as a practitioner and as an educator is, is to really change that perception, you know, one, one person at a time, the best that I can to really u- try to unite our profession and, and make everyone see that we're all just as valuable and, and we all need to fight together to change the public's perception of us ultimately. So that, that would be my thing.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. I have some best friends who worked in hospitals, and so many times when we're talking, all of a sudden the conversation deviates, like you said. And not to downplay myself or them at all, but they'll start going on about hospital issues, and I'm like, I have no idea. I can't exactly relate to that. Or I'll start talking about retail issues, and they're like, Yeah, I'm glad I don't work retail. I have no idea what you're talking about. Couldn't stand that. And it just, amplifies your point there The yes we are very divided with that and i, I hope it does get better as we've mentioned before with scott Kanoer kind of switching over from the cleveland clinic to apha i mm-hmm. think that's a good change agent there that could really help tie a lot of us together as he works to kind of advance our profession overall with apha so i'm looking forward to that
0: yeah thank
1: you all right if you could change one law in pharmacy federal or state what would it be and why
0: so I think the obvious answer would be the state provider status, right? So I'm not going to go with that, actually. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but specifically in the state of Mississippi, um, I'll just talk uh, specifically here that affects me and my practice, is that uh, the, the law defines a collaborative practice agreement in a community pharmacy setting as one provider, one pharmacist, one patient. And so it prevents providers from, you know, establishing collaborative practice agreements for, like, a population of patients or um, you know, maybe a specific health condition. And so it really is a barrier to implementation. Many pharmacists don't even seek out those collaborative opportunities with with physicians in the area because um, you know it's just extra paperwork for everyone involved. Yeah. And so I think that if I had the opportunity, and it's something that we are working on here in the state to change that um, physicians could physicians and pharmacists together could decide what those restrictions would be in their collaborative practice agreement. Um, I think it would make access a lot better for patients and also make providers um, or physicians' lives a lot easier as well.
1: Yeah, especially in a state like yours where you have some of those basic primary care challenges that are treating diabetes, blood sugars, uh, hypertension, you know, dietary issues are within the state that pharmacists right. can have those conversations with and just being allowed to have that conversation at a level as a provider makes a very big difference versus somebody who's not a provider so yeah that would be that'd be huge in your state and like you said you guys are first last wherever you want to call it in so many different categories that would be <laughs> yeah. that would be a a total game changer and a great place to really focus in and see how much it does change that so yeah i i would I would love to have you back on if that changes at all, and hopefully it will in the near future as we're seeing it in a lot of states. So Yeah. That would be awesome.
0: Absolutely. All
1: right. Well, hey, thank you for coming on, Dr. Blue. I appreciate it, and I can't wait to get this out to everybody with what you're doing there with Flip the Pharmacy. Again, flipthepharmacy.com. And if you like the podcast, as always, leave us five-star review wherever you're listening to it. Write a review, too, if there's an episode you really liked or any of the topics you really liked. I, that always helps people find us better. And as always, thanks for listening to Political Pharmacist, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.